Good morning. That's not good enough. Good morning. Let's try that one more time. Good morning. Coach Maggard's done basketball camps with me for years, and he knows every single day when we welcome our campers, when they come to center court, if they don't give a resounding good morning with joy in their hearts and ready to be life givers in the gymnasium, we continue to do that until it meets the standard. So we're going to try it one more time. Good morning. morning. Amen. It's a great day to be alive. It is a great day to be alive. God has given you the gift of today. What are you going to do with it? You know, it's amazing because as I hear John and we did communion and we talk about, um, you know, remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. And as we talk about um, our men and women that have served our country to give us the freedoms and the appreciation that we have with that. Um, today is also a special day at the organization of which I coach and where I teach at Christ Presbyterian Academy. And we have five special, special graduates that I counted that are in the audience today. And before I came up here, I told John, God, give me a specific word for each of you five. And it is applicable to everybody, including myself that is in this room right now. So I want, and this is going to embarrass you, but you guys know that know me well, I don't really worry about those kind of things. I'm the coach. I have the whistle and the microphone so I can make things happen with that. So I want uh, Tyler Grassi to stand up. I want Chip Omer to stand up. I want Zach Weatherly to stand up. I want Kara Wegner to stand up. And I want Evan Ragsdale to stand up. Let's give them a round of applause, first of all. Now, each of these young people have greatness that has been bestowed on them by their Savior and their Creator. Each of these five have a common thread that runs through their stories as all five of these young people are going to go on to play collegiate athletics at some place across the country. And with that, or at least when I revisit my own story, I can remember being an 18-year-old and stepping foot on that West End campus wearing black and gold and beginning to ask the questions, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Can I live up to the hype? And I'm here to tell each of you five today that God loves you so much. The voice of truth that is above all things and beyond all things says to you right now that I died for you specifically for a specific purpose, a specific call that each of you are set to carry out from this place. I love each of you dearly. I've gotten to know a lot of you. I don't know Kara as well as the other four, but I love each of you because you were created for greatness. So go forth and extend greatness to every single person you interact with. Amen? Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> Lastly, before I get into my purpose, and those that know, that know me, I go off notes pretty, pretty easily. Um, we have a special family that's here that this special lady has taught several of my children over in the CPA preschool, and they came all the way back today. And we have the Grassi family here today. And just thank you guys for the model and the vision that you were for my kids, Miss Della. And just thank you for that. And we love you, and we're glad you're back with us. So let's give them a round of applause as well. You know, this is my fourth straight year to be able to speak and stand on this stage and, and to share just any bit of coaching wisdom that that really I've learned through making mistakes and, and having a lot of failures. Um, I, I'm certainly no pastor. I can't live up and stand in this pulpit and do what John does. Um, I certainly am imperfect and am flawed as a coach. 
But, you know, really my life's purpose and all I'm trying to do every single day as a coach, as a teacher, when I wake up, my two feet hit the ground. My life's mission statement is this, is just love the one that's in front of me. And whoever God puts in my path that day, I pray for one simple prayer. God, just give me what it takes to love them the best way that I can. And so today, as my fourth year of getting to be here, the previous three I've spoken as a guest. But today, I'm your teammate. And I'm a member of this church and this body, and it is a distinct privilege and honor to get to even be able to say that I'm a proud, proud member of the Hills Church and all that God's doing here. And so thank you, John and Kristen, for your vision. And John, thank you for the previous two weeks talking about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, serving the house of God. I was coaching the previous two weeks in a AAU tournament, so I was unfortunate, uh, not, unfortunately not able to be here, but I went back and listened to the podcast, which I encourage you to do. And I went back and read John's notes, and it was really incredible because as I stepped back into my own story and I began to think, you know, John was up here trying to encourage all of us to leverage the gifts, to leverage the abilities that God has given each, and, each of us in this room in unique ways, to leverage that for the good of the group, to leverage that for the good of the church, and to leverage that for the, uh, the gift of the Nashville community. What holds us back? What prevents us from taking those necessary steps forward and saying, yes, I'm signing up for it? And to me, when I revisited my story, it wasn't time. We can budget more time. It wasn't money. It wasn't resources, experience, wisdom. It always came back to the word fear to me. My story, if you know me, and John nicely said some, some nice things about me, but my entire life story has been driven by the word fear. Fear of being a fraud, fear of performance, fear of failure. Can I live up this game to what I did last game? Then I stepped into it as a coach. Could we live up to it this year as we did last year? I remember in August one day after we won the state championship in 2012, and I pulled into the parking lot in the dark of night at 5 a.m., nobody in the parking lot, and I literally was paralyzed and couldn't get out of my door because the second I stepped foot out of my door, I had to live up to what we did last year. That's fear. So if you'll turn in your Bibles today, we're going we're gonna to talk about what Jesus says about fear. Matthew 25, if you'll turn in your Bibles, to a very, very, very familiar story that each of us know very well, and you've probably heard told many times over if you've been a member of any sort of church body or Sunday school class. But I'm going to take a different slant and hook it back to what Jesus is really saying as it relates to fear. You know, it's interesting, and it didn't even hit me until the previous service that this scripture takes place in Matthew 25 and verse 14 through 30, which Jesus uses as his last teaching moment with his followers. Before, because in Matthew 26, he then steps forward. He has the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, the betrayal, Matthew 27, the crucifixion, ultimately leading to Matthew 28, the resurrection and ascension. This is his last teaching moment moment. So think about that. Jesus himself in red letters in the book that you have in your lap right now before you, his last teaching moment is this story about investment. 
Now, maybe you've heard it titled The Parable of the Talents. This is really a story of investment. And so when I read different translations and different versions within the Bible, I kept coming back to the message, which was the one that we're going to have the words on the screen. And we're going to use it because it uses very, very common modern-day language that you can easily wrap your mind around. So we'll begin in Matthew 25, verse 14. We'll pull the words up. And so if you have the NIV version or whatever, you have an app, you can click over to the message version and follow along. Verse 14, it's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000. To another, 2000 And to a third, 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work, doubled his master's investment. The second did the same. But the man with the single thousand went and dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him he had doubled his investment. The master commended him, said, good work. You did your job. From now on, you'll be elevated to my partner and not servant. Verse 22, the servant with 2,000 showed him He also had doubled the master's investment. The master commended him as well and said, good work. You did your job. From now on, you'll be elevated to my partner. The servant that was given 1,000 said, master, I know you have high standards, high expectations, and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid, he assumed. So he was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done has been able to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most, the one that had $5,000, and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. You know, the NIV version says in verse 28 through 30, it uses the word worthless servant. That is in big red letters in your Bible. That is Jesus himself saying, get rid of this play it safe, worthless worthless servant who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. The last teaching word of Jesus himself. It's an amazing thing. Fear is an amazing thing. The young man that was given $1,000 learned the hard way that playing it safe leads to a life that is not abundant. You know, you think about coaches, and we've heard coaches and TV commentators for a year. Maybe some of you that watch sports have experienced this, but before an NFL football game or a big college football game or NCAA March Madness or even last night watching Oklahoma City play the Warriors, 
in any pregame show you've ever seen, we hear this all the time. The team that makes the least amount of mistakes will win this game. I have to tell you, anytime I hear that, it drives me crazy. Because basically what you're saying is the team that plays more fearful, OKC the last six minutes last night in that game, or the team that plays free, the Warriors, last night, the last six minutes, seven three-pointers, six turnovers. Fear-based approach, free-based approach. And I promised myself if I ever had the opportunity to step back into a locker room as a coach, that in a big moment, I wanted our players to experience what it would like to be able to play free and not be fearful. Now, remember, I'm the same guy that delivered the Green Bay Packers speech. So in closing, because I know I got to go fast, John, and I'm sorry. On March the 14th, 2012, our first state championship tournament appearance as the CPA Lions basketball team, number one ranked team in the state, was to play the number two ranked Spring Hill Raiders from Columbia, Tennessee. We walk into the arena that day at the Murphy Center on the campus of MTSU, and the ushers begin to take us down this long hallway into this locker room that I knew was all too familiar. You see, a part of my story of my performance issues and identity issues that I've had to endure was my last game as a high school basketball player in that same arena I lost in the state championship in overtime. And it's been something quite frankly, I've had to really work through because people today still say it's probably the biggest upset in the history of TWSAA basketball. I had a guy that was a first-round pick, All-American, number one player in the country, another SEC player on our team that went on to play at Vanderbilt. We were loaded with talent, and we got beat. And as we began to make our way to the locker room that day on March 14, 2012, 18 years earlier, walking down the same hallway to the same room that I had to endure that as my last game as a high school player. You can imagine the fear that I had in my own heart as those stories began to resurrect. I knew our team obviously would be very fearful because we were the number one team in the state. We had won most of our games that year, and we were the favorite to win the state championship. You could almost cut the fear in the room with a knife. And as a leader, that is very hard to be able to step into a group of 15, 18-year-olds. Parker was there that day. And be able to try to eliminate fear that exists in that room because I myself was feeling the same way. So the first words that I began to say as I stepped into that room to deliver that pregame speech that day was far different than the one I'd given five years earlier. And this is what God is telling each of us in this room today. I can remember the words, and I'm not sure, Parker, if you can remember it. Dark concrete walls, green aluminum lockers, very long room. I can still remember it today. I remember stepping into the room, didn't write anything on the board, didn't go over a scouting report. And I said to this, and this is what God is saying to each of us today. I love you guys so much. Fellas, listen to me. I love you guys so much. Nothing that happens on that court today, no shot that is made or missed, 
No play that is made or not made, and certainly not if we win or lose this game will ever change that. So we've all heard the words uttered by coaches for generations. To limit your mistakes, I say screw that. I want you guys to go out there today and make mistakes. Make plays, make shots, play with freedom. The team that wins today actually will be the team that makes the most mistakes because that's the team that is going out, willing to risk failure and being free, knowing that they are loved and their identity is not tied to that scoreboard today. You can only imagine that their faces lit up with excitement. Their body language completely changed because they knew they weren't going to have to play looking over their shoulder with a coach that would have a quick substitution pattern on a missed shot or a mistake. We went on to win that game 82-62, to 62, and we played extremely well. And I'm sure we made numerous mistakes and had tons of turnovers. I'm pretty positive we didn't shoot 100% from the field. But our young men played free and fearless, and that's all I had asked them to do. That's what God's asking you today. God is inviting you into this life to quit being worried about an outcome, to quit being stressed about achievement, quit tying your identity to success or even winning. God's calling you to a life of freedom. He's calling you to a life to stare your greatest fears in the face and being willing to take a risk regardless of what may or may not happen. He's saying, quit worrying about the need of a safety net. I am the safety net. He's saying, quit worrying about what plan B is. I am plan B. Oh, and by the way, I'm plan A too. Life is about the process of becoming who God has uniquely designed you to become. And the self-realization that the win or the loss, the sell or not, or even getting the promotion has no bearing on God's value that he bestows on you. Greatness is upon each of you in this room this morning. You are special, you are vital, you are unique, and you are created to do big things in the communities that you live, work, and play. And that includes starting right here at the hills. So, as John Wooden said, as I begin to close and invite John back up on the stage here this morning, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing anything. If you're not making mistakes, you're not doing anything. So get up. Kick the dust off, shake off whatever's holding you back, and start doing something awesome that only you were created to do today. Two tweetable thoughts that you can tweet out this morning if you would like. And I'll invite John back up on the stage with me this morning. Two words you should never, ever, ever speak into existence is I can't. Replace them with four words. I can, I will. The last thing I'll say is this, and then I'll hand the phone back over to my dear friend and brother, John Ragsdale. Nothing is impossible. In fact, the word says it itself. I'm possible. Get out of your comfort zone this morning, and let's start doing something awesome together. Amen?